welcome back to the Tackles Podcast, where everything we talk about is of the game and for the game of football. Today, what we're going to be doing is, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the different Champions League fixtures in the quarterfinals, uh, the different approaches that different teams might take, or the systems that they play, and, again, the approaches that these teams might take against their relative opposition. First game we're going to be talking about is the game between Bayern Munich and PSG. And just to, uh, just to um, mention something before we get started, this is in no way a prediction. I'm not predicting these games because I know for one that there are so many factors that come into a game that could influence the outcome of the game. So a prediction for me is sort of useless. Like it's fun between mates if you like you want to predict, and but it's based a lot on luck. There are so many different factors that might influence a specific game. So based on that, again, the point behind this episode is just to give you a little bit of uh, context on the way these different teams play and not actually determine the winner of the fixture. So, first of all, let's start by talking about Bayern Munich, uh, last season's holders. Bayern Munich are still one of the most dominant teams in the world, in, if not at the moment, the best team in the world. But they're not perfect. And that's something that I don't know, maybe a lot of people notice or maybe they don't. But one major weakness for Bayern Munich that started even last season was their high line, their high defensive line. Whoever knows Bayern Munich knows that they try to press very high or even press in mid-block and then press high on certain triggers. But one thing that they always maintain is that high line. They play a high line is basically when a team uh, pushes their defensive line a little bit higher to play on the offside trap. But that can be uh, broken by a team that has a really efficient winger, a, a winger who can run in behind, for instance. And we know that PSG have that in Kylian Mbappé. So it'll be interesting to see the approach that Bayern take, whether they sort of change their system a bit, maybe modify a bit, maybe drop a little deeper, not press too high considering that PSG have that asset in attack. I do believe that PSG will not see a lot of the ball. I believe that Pochettino will have to accept the fact that he's going to be sitting in a mid-block or even lower for most of the game. Despite the fact that maybe last season we did see that Thomas Tuchel try to press Bayern high and it, was, it worked for most of the game. But I don't know how how much stamina the players have at this point of the season, whether the intensity required to press in that way will be maintained or will be able to be maintained in such a fixture over two legs as well. Now, what I do want to mention is that, despite the fact that many people are giving this win already to Bayern Munich, I've already mentioned Bayern are not the complete team that they were last season. Flaws have started to show, especially in that high line, considering that their centre-backs are relatively slow compared to other centre-backs. And that is one of the main reasons why they bought Dio Pamecano, not only to replace David Alaba, but also considering the frailty that they have in terms of personnel in the defensive line, centre-backs, in terms of centre-backs. Whether it be Nicolas Soule or Jerome Boateng or David Alaba, we know that these are not the quickest centre-backs that you may that may be available. So adding Diopi Meccano to their personnel is going to be a massive boost for them, especially considering how, how small he is, how young he is, sorry, not small is the word. I think he's 23. Let me just check. I'm just Googling it. Uh, 
1998. He's 22. He's going to be 23 this season. So, yeah, that's a massive addition for them, considering how how good he is now with experience. He could turn out to be one of the best centre-backs in the world. So that's a really good uh, buy by Bayern Munich. In terms of PSG, like I said, I do believe that they will sit back a lot. They will rely a lot on transitions to get the ball forward and try and hurt Bayern Munich. That is where I think that Bayern should try not as and, com- and try not to commit as many plays high as they usually do. Uh, if they do, they have to be their counter press has to be on point. Their defensive transition has to be on point. Otherwise, they risk conceding space to PSG, and we know that you can't afford space to players like Kylian Mbappe or even Neymar, who is a really press-resistant player. So, again, it's a, it's a really good match. It's not as one-sided as people think it, uh, think it will be. Pochettino can easily find, in my opinion, can find an approach to overcome or even expose Bayern's frailties in defence. And for the people that may disagree with me saying that Bayern Munich have frailty, uh, or are frail in, in defence, just look at their games against Gladbach, against Leipzig in the league this season, against uh, Frankfurt. Frankfurt was a really interesting one because Frankfurt actually pressed Bayern high and they managed to win the ball in there in Bayern's half and <laughs> and um, win turnovers and score from there. Uh, the other teams were mainly defending a little bit lower and instantly playing long towards a runner in behind the defensive line. That's what Gladbach did. That's what Leipzig did. Hoffenheim did that. And that's basically, I think, where all of the other teams' approaches came from. Maybe not Frankfurt's, but Leipzig's and uh, Dortmund's even. Were, even when they lost 4-2, the, manager, the fact that they managed to score two goals at the beginning of the game was, was really interesting. It made the match much more entertaining. Um, so what I do believe is that Bayern are much more exposed this season compared to last season on transitions and especially to direct play. And PSG, for one, are no, they're not slouches when it comes to attacking transitions. They've got, the, they've got the capability to produce really efficient attacking transitions. So it'll be an interesting matchup. That's the least to say. Moving on, we're going to talk about the game between Real Madrid and Liverpool. Two teams that haven't really been consistently performing this season. Uh, mainly Liverpool, based on the injuries that they've had to had to deal with or had to had to withstand with the loss of Van Dijk, their most important uh, asset in defence. Uh, we've seen a massive frailty in Liverpool's defensive line this season with uh, the loss of Van Dijk, the loss of Gomez, maintaining a high line. Also, Liverpool, like Bayern, are a team that likes to press really aggressively, really high in that four-three-three, that standard. In- inverted 4-3-3 of theirs, the pressing inside. So, also, one of the major points for Liverpool will be whether they can maintain that high line and whether Real Madrid will be able to expose it. Another point to consider is is, uh, on the part of Real Madrid. Real Madrid are a team that like to defend in a man-orientated way. And it has brought some good results, like the win against Barcelona in the El Clasico, even against Atletico Madrid when they won, I think it was 2-0 at the beginning of the season. But it was also brought some disastrous results when they tried to do it against in both legs against Shakhtar. I think they lost both legs. And there have been many other games, but I don't, I'm, I don't really remember. Against Gladbach, I think they drew 2-2. Also, they, they were trying to play that way, but they won 2-0 in the reverse. So it has its positives and negatives, but at the same time, we've already seen Liverpool play 
against a team with similar defensive uh, a similar defensive approach to Real Madrid, and that is Atalanta. And the interesting thing is that in the first leg, uh, Liverpool ran riot against them and they managed to win 5-0. But in the return, Atalanta took a more conservative approach. And they dropped a little deeper and only like pressed a little bit on, um, on triggers. But we did see a lot of man orientation in there as well. And Atalanta actually managed to win that game. So in my personal opinion, if Real Madrid wants to get something out of this match... I don't think they'll see a lot of the ball. That's the first thing. But the second thing, I think they have to be on point in their 1v1 challenges. Because Liverpool are a team that like to rotate. They like to interchange positions a lot. Their players like to rotate a lot between each other. Sometimes we see Salah and Mane, the wingers, come inside. And we see the uh, fullbacks overlap. Mainly Robertson, less, uh, a little bit less from uh, Alexander Arnold, Arnold, who likes to stay back and create from deep. Uh, the midfielders like to rotate as well. They like to drop into the back line sometimes to create space in the middle. We've got that false nine in Diego Jota or Roberto Firmino who like to drop into midfield and overload the midfield. The most common example I, I'm going to talk about in terms of man orientation is whenever we see one of Real Madrid's centre-back fo centre-backs follow that false nine into midfield to nullify the potential overload that could be created by that false nine dropping into midfield. So, like I said, either Liverpool will be able to expose Real Madrid's man orientation, as Shakhtar did earlier this season, as many other teams have managed to do throughout the season, or the the other end of the spectrum is that Real Madrid will uh, Real Madrid's man oriented approach will work for them. They will be able to nullify any positional rotations that Liverpool will try uh, to try and open space. Uh, Liverpool, another advantage for them it will, will be if uh, they try to play long balls in behind to Salah and Mane, who are really quick, pacey plays. Again, an aspect in order, to, uh, an aspect that they can use to break the offside trap that Real Madrid like to play with. Sometimes they like to play with a little bit of a high line, but I think Real Madrid will be a little bit more, like I said, will be a little bit more conservative in this game. I think they'll uh, drop into a mid block and try and sort of defend from there. Again, an interesting bout, and it's it's quite close considering the strengths and frailties of both sides. Both of them have been have not really been on a run of form. They've been winning matches, they've been losing matches. So on that note, it will be interesting to see which team manages to get the best of the other two. If Liverpool manage to have Van Dijk back by the time the game by the time uh, the game comes up, then that will be a massive boost for them, in my opinion. Also, the question of whether Van Dijk will be fit enough to like come back instantly because an ACL is not an easy injury to uh, overcome. Moving on, uh, now let's talk about the game between Manchester City and Dortmund. Uh, ever since uh, Dortmund sacked their previous manager, Lucien Favre, we've seen a sort of a transition to a much more direct style of play, transition-based style of play compared to under Favre, who prioritise possession building out from the back, moving steadily up with the ball. Under Terzic, they've been, again, they've been much more direct, and that's justifiable, because especially since you've got, whenever you've got a player like Erling Haaland up front, then, like, I'd understand you trying to instantly play forward to him to lay off to other players. The man's a machine. On point, the man's a machine. <laughs> uh, I truly believe he's one of the top three strikers in the world. And he's only 20. That's the ridiculous thing. Like, 
looking at Haaland and the way he plays and how aggressive he is and how confident he is, you'd expect that from a player that's about that's in his prime, about 27 or 26. Haaland is doing it all at 20 years of age. It's ridiculous. The fact that Red Bull managed to uh, to find a, uh, find him, it just goes to show how good their scouting network is, to be honest. Not only him, but he's been like, he's been like the one that shone out of them all, like the biggest star of them all. I truly believe he's he'll eventually develop to be the best striker in the world. I think he might possibly win a Ballon d'Or if he carries on at this rate. And obviously, I do believe that he's not staying at Dortmund. Whether it be this summer or next summer, he's going to get a big money transfer. But that's not the point. Dortmund do rely a lot on Erling Haaland. That's my point. They rely on him in transitions. They rely on him in progression. It's it's always trying to find him as an attacking outlet and then uh, laying it off or maybe trying to uh, uh, pass the ball onto the wing to either Jadon Sancho or wide outlet to then allow Haaland to make one of his runs into the box or one of his feints to bypass the defender and score. We we saw it against Bayern Munich. We've seen it so many times this season. Like, I don't even know why I need to talk about it. Everyone's talking about Erling Haaland and how clinical he is and how good of a striker he is. One of my most memorable moments of Haaland this season is, I don't remember who he scored the goal against, but... He managed to outmuscle three defenders. Three players were trying to get the ball off him. He outmuscled all three of them and managed to play across into the box. I think it was to Sancho. I think I don't even remember. I think he might have scored the he might have scored the goal goal at the end. But he's he's ridiculous, man. Like he just blows my mind that player. Now the question is whether Manchester City will manage to contain Haaland. If they manage to do that, then I do really believe that. They can stunt Dortmund's attack. I do really believe that. When we talk about Manchester City, there's not much to talk about, to be honest. Everyone knows how good they are. They they went on a 20-game winning streak. They've only lost one game in their last about 23-24. <laughs> tactically, tactically speaking, we know that Dortmund... Uh, uh, sorry, not Dortmund. Man City, uh, they like to use a lot of rotations, positional interchanges especially with the introduction of the false nine. They haven't played a lot with a proper striker recently. They've always tried to play with the false nine. Sometimes it's Bernardo Silva, sometimes it's Phil Foden, sometimes it's Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, I remember a few days ago, I was watching the game against, uh, their last game against Gladbach when they won 2-0. And if you watch the game again, at at one point you see Foden's the false nine, he's dropping into midfield. At another point you see it's Bernardo Silva, at another point you see it's Kevin De Bruyne. They're constantly rotating in-game. Uh, just like they do, for instance, in futsal. You always see a different player dropping into midfield or like sometimes you see De Bruyne out wide on the wing. Sometimes you see him come back into midfield. Sometimes you see, I don't know, Cancelo push forward, Cancelo invert. Uh, we know that Guardiola is a big fan of posi- positional interchanges, rotations. Uh, City have uh, relied a lot on a back three this season. Uh, double pivot, double CDM, Rodri and Cancelo or Cancelo Zinchenko. Uh, although in certain games they have tried to adopt high and wide fullbacks and a single pivot, but I do believe against Dortmund they will they will go for the same system. They'll go for a back three and a double pivot. Uh, Dortmund will possibly. It's interesting to see which system Dortmund will choose to defend in because they're not going to see a lot of the ball. We do know that it's obvious. It doesn't take an analyst to to say that Dortmund won't see a lot of the ball. 
I personally think that they'll try maybe a 4-4-2 or 4-5-1 mid-block and try to sort of press City a bit using that. Uh, uh, City's, uh, sorry, Dortmund's fullbacks will have to be on top form because City, we know City love to isolate their wingers in 1v1s. They like to even sometimes create overloads on their opposition fullbacks, 2v1s. So there has to be a lot of compactness and rigidity in terms of Dortmund's defensive structure. And obviously, the attacking ally in Erling Haaland, whether City will be able to contain that, whether even they'll be able to f to uh, stop the delivery into Haaland and have him isolated up front. Because Manchester City's uh, counter-pressing has really improved this season. We've also seen that their high press is not as aggressive. They've dropped back and are much more composed and calculating, calculated Sorry, in terms of how they approach their press. They press mainly based on triggers. That may be attributed to the fact that there's the pandemic and there's not a lot of time to get the players fit enough and they might uh, be even more prone to injuries if they keep on maintaining an aggressive approach. But it's all worked out for Manchester City. Guardiola saying, I, I mentioned this in the previous episode in episode two, if you want, you can go back to that. Guardiola saying that he wanted to go back to his roots, his original principles. And we see that. We see that in the way, the equal distribution across the different areas of the pitch. We see it uh, in the false nine, the rotations, the positional interchanges, the counter-pressing. I've already said all of it, you know. I'm not going to predict that, but obviously it doesn't take anyone to, say, to, to see that Manchester City are the favourites. But with an attacking threat to face in early, like Erling Haaland, I hope there, are, there will be a lot of goals. I hope it won't be as one-sided as we want it to be. And I hope Dorman can put up a fight. That's to say the least. Moving on, the final game we're going to be talking about is the one between Chelsea and Porto. And this one is actually, for me, the most interesting bout of them all. Obviously, the others are much more highly anticipated. But the one that I'm most interested to watch is Chelsea and Porto. Because you have basically two ends of the spectrum. You have two teams that are basically the antithesis of each other. On one hand, you've got Chelsea, who are extremely possession-oriented. They like to press high. They like to keep the ball. They like to progress. Maybe, a, maybe I wouldn't say quickly, but they like to build the ball out. Whereas on the other hand, you've got Porto, who are much more transition-based. Sometimes they defend very deep against Juve, whoever watched that game, you will even notice that sometimes they adopted a six at the back, which is something that we've seen quite a lot this season. We saw it, uh, I think West Brom tried to do it against Liverpool. Anyway, the point is that Porto, despite the fact that sometimes they do drop very low, they are extremely dangerous on transition. And I'm not only talking about both legs against Juve, I'm even talking about in the group stages. Even when City beat them 3-1, there was always that threat on the counter. When they beat Olympiacos 2-0, they, they didn't have a lot of the ball. And still, they, they were so deadly on the counter. Uh, against Juve, everyone saw how good they were in transition. Some may argue that they were a bit lucky to qualify with that free kick and all that. But Juve weren't really helping themselves, were they? But the point is, the main question is whether... Porto will manage to keep that attacking prowess against Chelsea because Chelsea are really good at defensive transitions. They are one of the best this season ever since Tuchel uh, took over. They have been really good, insanely good at defensive transitions. They've 
they ha they haven't lost the game yet under under uh, Tuchel. They've barely conceded any goals. So it's a big question. But at the same time, the other end is whether Chelsea will be able to break down Porto's deep block. Because Chelsea, despite the fact that they've been improved so much defensively, they haven't managed to score that uh, massive quantity of goals that you'd expect from this approach. Normally, when you when you see a uh, and possession-based approach, building out, blah, 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 positional play, you'd expect the goals to come with it. And we haven't seen a lot of goals from Chelsea. That's something that's sort of surprising. So, again, this is really a really good matchup for me because, like I said, you've got one team that's really good on defensive transition but has struggled to score a lot of goals coming up against a team that is really defensive approached and really organised defensively but are really threatening on the counter-attack. So, like I said... Very interesting game, and I am really looking forward to it, to see who comes out on top and who outplays the other, which team outplays the other. So, yeah, this one, I think, oh, 21 minutes. It's, it's a short one, but I just wanted to come out with some of the different ideas that the different teams use or the approaches they might take or they normally take, how they might look to adjust based on the opposition so yeah that was the episode i can't wait for the champions league quarterfinals also the potential that we might possibly finally get by munich versus manchester city we were so close to getting it last season and manchester city got knocked out by lyon hopefully godspeed we may get it this season so yeah there's so much to look forward to thank you for tuning in until next time